Amen. Let's pray, everyone. Jesus, I thank you for this worship, and I thank you for the place to be here tonight. God, thank you for what you're doing in the lives of people in this church, and in our community. God, I, I just worship you tonight for that. I pray that this word would speak to these students, and uh, that they would grow from this and gain from you. In Jesus' name, God, we praise you, we worship you. It's in his name we pray, and everybody says, Amen. 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 I need to stand, y'all. All right, so this is the third lesson, the third message in the Live Differently series. Are you guys growing and learning from this so far? Amen. I am, and I'm not, I'm like, I'm not a teenager anymore, but I'm definitely growing too. Well, I heard four, four other people said they're growing. Yeah, I know, I heard that too. So, so you're growing, everybody's growing. Amen. All right, so sometimes we can think of being different as a negative. Does everybody ever feel that way about being different? Like, man, I'm different than everybody else. That could be a negative. It could be something as trivial as a sandwich that was different than you ordered, covered in mayo, when you asked for none. Who likes mayo in here? Okay, yeah. Do you like it slathered on there, too, when you get it? Yeah. If I want it, I want it on there, yes. So to clothes that you buy at outlets because they're slightly different than they were supposed to be. Or the idea of difference can be serious. Think of people born with a disease. Some, something is different in how their bodies forms, resulting in life situations that can be extremely difficult. There are times where difference is a negative. This difference can be amazingly positive as well. Think of how coins or stamps become super valuable because there is a mistake in the design. These mistakes cause them to be worth far more then their face value, think of rare gems or rare cars. I remember I used to collect coins. I was that weird nerd kid. I still have them. Um, that was like, it's a, it's a penny. Is it really just worth a penny or is it worth like two pennies? Because it's got this rarity on it. Or it's just rare or a wheat penny. You guys know wheat pennies? It's got wheat on the back. <laughs> you guys are like, what? Before 1959. So there was a thing in 1955. It was called the double die thing. It's because it went through the stamp process twice. There was only a few of them, and if you got one that had S on it, it was worth hundreds of dollars, sometimes a thousand, depending on like how rare it was or what the condition was. S stood for the men in San Francisco. More nerd facts. But so that penny was extra rare, a double die 1955 penny. So it was different, that's what made it extra special. So they're valuable because they're different. Would you rather have the same phone as all your friends? You don't? Or would you like to have a one-of-a-kind, cutting-edge, super-awesome phone? Yeah? Yeah? I'm okay with, like, just whatever phone I can get that works well. That's what I needed to do. Most of us would take a one-of-a-kind phone because it's different than the rest. You, I might like to have my own phone cover, my own phone case. That might be a thing. This, says, this message is about being different. More specifically, how God is different and how we are to be different because we're his children. What? Are you serious? Yes. We're to be different because we're God's children. So in our first message, we learned about the difference between God's ways and the world's ways. Remember God versus the world? And the second, we learned the definition of sexual immorality and how God expects us to fight sexual temptations. In this message, you're going to learn exactly what it means when God says to be holy when he is holy and calls us to holiness too. So our first point today is God's holiness refers to his, here's a cool word for you, his otherness. Y'all say otherness. 
or your principal, or Pastor Josiah, <laughs> or a famous actress, or you, or maybe you'd say the President of the United States. It's fun to think about our lives and then think about other people, how they live their lives so different, so that they may be considered an other kind of lifestyle. I think LeBron James lives a much different lifestyle than I do. Would you guys think that? When he tweets, he gets millions of likes. I tweet, I might get two. It's a big difference. He lives another kind of lifestyle. Wouldn't you agree? That's just one example. No matter how other someone may seem, God is more other than anything else. After all, at least with the presidents, you can imagine what it must be like for a president to be maybe when you're a kid. You're like, you can imagine what that's like. Your principal might seem super other to you. Who likes their principal? Come on, y'all. I can't love that principal. Your, your whole goal should only be to say, what's up, Mr. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so? They never see you again. Except, hello. So that's the way it should be. You should be able to look up to them and be like, that's an awesome person. Uh, but at least they are human. At least that's the rumor by the principal. God is not even in our category. He is so separate, so other, that we can't even begin to consider how different he is and how we can even compare ourselves to him. And far from being a scary or discom discomforting fact, this is the truth that should give us great hope. God's ways are higher than ours. So God spoke through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, y'all say Isaiah, to articulate or to speak his own separateness from us in some really clear, concise language. We're going to Isaiah 55. Y'all say 55. Yeah. We're talking about 1955, and now we're in 55. Anybody know how many chapters are in Isaiah without it? Yeah, somebody guess. You know it's at least 55. Who said 66? Good job. 66. That's also how many books there are in the Bible. Cool fact. All right, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And who said that? Oh, God did. Oh. Wow. So my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. Verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is God talking about who? Himself. My ways are higher. My thoughts are higher. He is speaking to the very thing that we've been talking about so far. God defines the separation between his thoughts and ways and our thoughts and ways. We are finite in our thinking and understanding. He is infinite. God, go, God then goes on to give us an example of just how vast the difference is between him and us. Scripture is clear. God is other. God is set apart. God is higher than us. And yet he still loves each of us in an intimate, personal way. God's otherness, y'all say otherness. otherness. That's a fun word, isn't it? I don't ever say that word. You guys ever say otherness? God's otherness doesn't prevent him from being in a relationship with us. Say with us? With me? Us? God can have a relationship with each and every one of you. What a powerful truth. So God is holy, and this truth is far from just an academic principle. That has no bearing on our lives. God's holiness impacts us quite personally, which brings us to the second point tonight. You're keep, keeping notes. As Christ followers, we're called to be holy too. We're called to be set apart from the world and identify as God's people. We're going to Leviticus 19, verse 2. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, 
Be holy, because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Guess who's talking here? God to the guy who got the Ten Commandments. Who's that? Moses. Moses. I used to have a dog named Moses, y'all. Did y'all know that? A dog named Moses. He liked to roll in cow dung piles. No joke. Oh, he always smelled. Let's just say this. He was not an indoor dog. Okay? And so this is God talking to Moses, giving Moses a message for God's children, the Israelites. God was calling the Israelites to identify with him as his people. Keep in mind that this passage comes from the beginning of God calling the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and leading them to their own land to become their own people. They were to be a people, a nation that reflected God's own character. God commanded them to be holy as he was holy. He was all about setting them apart from everybody else. And he still wants that for his people. And if you have confessed Christ and made Jesus your Lord, you are God's people. Amen? By the way, if you have been saved and you have not been baptized, please sign up for that. If you need help doing that, please talk to Josiah here. You can talk to Cindy. Y'all remember Cindy? She was up here earlier. And then you got Brad back here and Jason and Amy. And you can talk to Sarah. You can even talk to Jeremy and Kay who's hanging out with us tonight as well. You can talk to any of them. They will help you get signed up to get baptized. John Broder's even in here. What's up, John? So make sure you get the connection between the first and second points, which we said is Christ follows the call to be holy. Anyone tell me the first point? God's holiness reflects his otherness. So there's two correlations between this, or there's correlations between these two statements. The idea is that God is other, and he calls his people to be other too. That's it. That's as simple as that. God is other, and he calls his people to be other too. Just as God is different and set apart from the world... His children are to be as well. And you're like, okay, well, how far does that go? As far as God wants it to. Whatever his word says, that's what we do. How do I talk? What does God say? How do I approach the topic of sex? What does God say? What is his plan for that? You are to be holy as God is holy. Amen? Good job, Paul. That's it. I like that. Amen. But we're to be different because... God is different. Not just we're not trying to just do things different. Oh, I want to be the I want to be the rebel. I want to get a tattoo on my cheek just to be different. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about tattoos at all. I'm talking about what does it mean to be different the way God says to be different. I'm hot in these hammer pants, y'all tonight. It's hot. <laughs> hammer time. So just as God is different and set apart his children, that's all of us. God's children is, you could be 97, you could be 7, and you're God's children. He wants us all to be different tonight. All right, 1 Peter 15, a 1, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. That sounds familiar, like we just read that, but it was Leviticus, now it's 1 Peter. For it is written, verse 16, be holy as I am what? Holy. Why did I read basically the same verse again? Why did I read it? Because Peter, because Peter is saying, basically he's quoting the Old Testament. The answer is found in a couple of, uh, couple of points. Peter is writing thousands of years after Moses, and yet he is echoing the same commandment. I guess that means that it was pretty important. When you say it was thousands of years later and God's still saying the same thing, his message hasn't changed. He's writing to a different audience. And that is important. This is after Jesus has come. This is when people are getting saved through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a different time. The new covenant has been made. 
Moses was only talking to the Jews, God's chosen people, but Peter's talking to all Christ followers. As a matter of fact, Peter went to a guy Cornelius' house, and that's where the Holy Spirit fell for the first time on Gentile. What's a Gentile? That is someone who wasn't a Jew. A Jew was God's chosen people. You guys get history lessons tonight, right from the Bible. Jews were God's chosen people. When Jesus came, he's like, this message goes out to the entire world. Go to the entire world and get everybody saved today. Amen? So then Peter was the first one to say, oh, wait a minute. I get to go to Cornelius' house, Mr. Corny, and we get to go to his house, and the Holy Spirit's going to fall there? And that was Pentecost for the Gentiles. That's the first time in the Bible it's recorded that a Gentile received the Holy Spirit and got saved. That's awesome. So Peter's talking to everybody. Remember, through Jesus, God brought salvation to everybody. All nations and all peoples can come to saving faith in God through Christ. And yet we see Peter connecting Old Testament believers and New Testament believers to say, be holy, as I am holy. Amen? Amen? When we trace teachings like this from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's a big, flashy, neon sign that says, hey, this is important. This means something. It drives home the point that just like the Israelites were to be a group set apart, you guys are to be a group set apart. Amen? One of the most powerful ways we can do this is through our actions and our attitude pertaining to sexual morality. By living out God's views on sex, we show the world we're different. We show the world I'm God's. So why don't you do these things? I'm a follower of Jesus. And somebody might come back and say, well, I am too. And your answer should be, I'm only following what he says, and you must be doing it as well. Because there's one Bible. There's not, there's not any different ones. There's one Bible. And what does it say? That's who we follow. Have you ever heard of the word consecration? Not concentrated like orange juice, not consecration. But we're talking about cons consecrated, consecration. Have you guys ever heard of that word? It's up there now. Many of you will definitely have heard of it, but even so, few will know what it means. It's a valuable word, and I got the definition for you on the screen. It's a word used through the entire Bible, and it means people or things being separated to or belonging to God. They are holy or sacred. Set apart for the service of God. The idea that we just talked about is God is holy and calls you to be holy. He calls you to be consecrated. Consecrated, not concentrated or watered down like orange juice. That's nasty. He tells you to be consecrated, set apart for God. Just like Aaron and his sons were to serve as priests. And the tabernacle was a place of worship. I'm about to wrap this up because I want to get to our, our uh, we're going to do our, we're going to do our lesson check. And then I want to have a time of prayer with you guys, too. Who likes to pray in here? I know I do. I've been doing a lot of prayer lately because prayer changes things in my life, in your life, for your family. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to Le Leviticus again. I love going to Leviticus. Good stuff. It's so Leviticus 8. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons, this is verse 2, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin out offering, two rams, and a basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. 
Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forth and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and the uh, tumen in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, and so consecrated them or made it separate from everything else. So think about that for a moment. The tabernacle was kind of like a portable church. Portable church. Not a portable potty. A portable church. It moved. It got, it got to travel around. And it was set apart for the worship of God. It was before the permanent temple was built. When Solomon built that. It was made out of fabric. Inside were all sorts of handmade implements used to worship God. These materials weren't anything special in and of themselves, but they were set apart for God's purpose, and they became special at that point. They became holy. They became purposeful. Our lives are the same way. Apart from God, honestly, we're just ordinary. When God sets us apart for His service, we become purposeful, and our lives are set apart to be utilized for God and for His mission. Amen? Amen. The call to be holy as God is holy sounds awesome, but in our hearts, we know we're not holy. We might slip and fail, and sometimes live just like the world, including things like sex and sexuality. How do we reconcile the call to holiness and the unholy lives we sometimes live? Last point I have up here, God sees us as holy because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. God sees us as holy because of the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. Hebrews 10.10 says, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He, the writer of Hebrews is writing a few decades after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. On our own, we can never, no matter how hard we try, live up to God's standards. Live up left to our own efforts. The call to be holy can fall flat, and it's burdensome, and it's hard. But Jesus has already won that victory for us today. He cleared our sin debt. God sees us through the lens of Jesus' work on the cross. He sees us as pure and holy and perfect because Jesus made us this way. Amen? Amen. So when I, was, uh, when I was younger, I was homeschooled. I was homeschooled my entire life, except for two times in first grade and third grade. I went to um, a private school, and then we moved, and I got out of those schools. That was the only time I actually went to real school. Y'all know that? That's crazy, right? The other, the other years, I was homeschooled those whole that whole time. And I didn't realize that at the time. My dad would say, they're like, yeah, whatever. I didn't, didn't notice. But the sacrifice that my mom made to stay at home, I didn't realize that at the time. So I became a parent. Like, oh, my goodness. Wow, what a sacrifice. She didn't have a career. She didn't have um, where she left the house every day. She was my teacher. So if I got mad at my teacher, my mom, she was also my principal. So she had the, the paddle and spoon, okay? Do you think I got, do you guys, by show of hands, do you guys think I ever got a whooping? Yeah. How about a few whooping? Yes. Man, I made mom mad so, mad so mad one time, she grabbed a broom and just chased me through the house. <laughs> I'm telling y'all, I deserved it. Looking back, like, oh. <laughs> right? And, and you're like, yeah, I deserved the broom. She just got the back end on my booty. But I, she decided when I was a baby and was born, me and my twin sister and I had two younger brothers, that we weren't going to be put out to the world. That's not what she wanted to do. That was their choice. 
to, to do that. They wanted us influenced by God. This was the 80s and 90s, y'all. So it was before internet, before cell phones. Uh, computers were big blocks that nobody had, like yet. The Apple computer was just getting invented. So we didn't have anything like that at home. We never even had cable TV growing up. Sometimes we didn't even have TV. I still remember my dad getting convicted one time and throwing it over the bridge into a creek. Sorry, fishies. And I don't know what to get to the water. Um, so my mom made sacrifices, though, for us. And I realize that now as I'm older, how important that was. And she said, you know what, I'm not worried about this or that. I'm going to stay at home and sacrifice things out there. We had to sacrifice some money because I was only dad working and he preached and he worked. So mom made a lot of sacrifices for me. There's somebody else. I just saw this the other day. I thought this was pretty cool. Um, Emma, can you throw that picture up for me? I have this picture here. Um, you can kind of read about it. But in the Super Bowl the other night, you know, whoever watched that, this guy right here, number one, he's been in the league for nine years. He's never played in the Super Bowl. And instead of scoring a touchdown with about a minute and a half, because the Eagles said, we're going to let him score so we can get the ball back, this guy goes down on the one-yard line to run the clock out because he's more concerned about getting a win than getting a touchdown. So he sacrificed the fame of forever scoring. Oh, man, I scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. He sacrificed that for the betterment of the team. And that's just a game, right? It's a big game. It mattered a lot. A lot of players got bonuses just for winning that. Thousands and thousands of dollars. One player got a million dollars as an incentive on his contract just for playing in that game and for showing up to work. I'm like, no, I need that one. That's good. It's a lot of work to get there. So he had a sacrifice for the team. So I ask you guys a question. What's the biggest sacrifice anyone has ever made for you? Jesus made an amazing sacrifice on our behalf. He sacrificed his life so that we might live. He sacrificed his own righteousness, taking on the sin of the world so that God might see us as holy and righteous, free from the filthiness of sin that stains us so bad. And that's an amazing, life-changing sacrifice. Amen? Amen. Can I get uh, the leaders to come up here? We're going to go ahead and do this review. And then I'm going to take a few minutes to pray with everybody.